What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylar. So in this episode, I'm going to give a preview of the Cultural Playoff. I'll outline each game and give my predictions for each of them. But before doing so, I'm going to talk about the New Year's Day games for today that are not included in the Cultural Playoff. We'll start with the Relia Quest Bowl, which is a 12 p.m. kickoff between Wisconsin and number 13, LSU. Malik Davis will be playing for LSU in this game. No Jaden Daniels, though, so I think Wisconsin's going to be in this game more than people are giving them credit for. Wisconsin really did disappoint me this season, though. I had them being, I believe, a double-digit win team in my predictions. They ended up going 7-5 and five in the regular season. I expected double-digit wins, but that ended up not being the case. I thought Tanner Mordecai was going to have a big season, considering he had a big year last year at SMU with over 30 passing touchdowns last season at SMU. Also a couple rushing touchdowns as well. I thought he was going to go to Wisconsin and have a big season. But he really struggled, and so did the Wisconsin offense overall, only averaging 23 points per game. Mordecai had six touchdowns passing with four interceptions and four rushing touchdowns on the year. Didn't have the big 30-touchdown season like I predicted he would. That was obviously a big reason that Wisconsin didn't get the double-digit wins that I thought they were going to get. With Daniels being out today, though, LSU is going to have to find a way to move the ball without him. And obviously, when you don't have the Heisman Trophy winner out there, your offense is going to look a lot different. But they do have Malik Neighbors, which will help whoever will be starting for LSU today. Wisconsin will be able to stay competitive in this game, though. Since Tanner Mordecai's playing, I'm going to double down on Wisconsin, and I'm going to predict a 27-24 upset win over LSU today. Next up, we have the Citrus Bowl at 1 o'clock. Number 17, Iowa versus number 21, Tennessee. No Joe Milton at quarterback today for Tennessee. A very talented quarterback who opted out for the NFL draft. I thought he was going to have a bigger season as well. Just like Mordecai, I thought it was going to have a big year. I thought Joe Milton was going to have a big season this year. But he didn't really put up the numbers that I thought he would. Still had some decent numbers. 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, a very strong arm. Did show he has some NFL talent as well. But he didn't have the 30, 35 touchdown season that I thought he was capable of. As for Iowa, their defense has been elite all season long. Top five in college football in scoring defense and total defense on the year. They will not have their quarterback, though, Cade McNamara, in today's game. And Cooper DeGene will be out as well. A projected first-round pick in the NFL draft. Iowa's defense has been prolific all year long, though. Been one of the best teams in all college football on defense. Even held Michigan to just 10 points in the first half in the Big Ten Championship. I've liked Tennessee all year long, though, so I'm going to roll with them getting a win here in a low-scoring 17-14 game. And then the last game I'm going to mention besides the cultural playoff is the Fiesta Bowl, which also kicks off at 1 o'clock. And that's number 23, Liberty, at number 8, Oregon. Liberty was 13-0 this season, but they did have an easy schedule, an undefeated year. But the schedule was obviously one of the easier ones in college football, considering they don't really have to play those big schools like Oregon, Washington, Alabama. Oregon will be their toughest test of the year so far. And Bo Nix is expected to play for Oregon, so I think Oregon's going to really dominate in this game. They could have been a cultural playoff team if they did not lose to Washington in the Pac-12 championship. They dominant both ways, offense and defense. Easily could have been a cultural playoff team if they only had one loss to Washington rather than two. Tough to make predictions because there are always so many unknown opt-outs and guys that aren't going to play and they announce it last minute. So it's tough to make predictions in a lot of these games that are not the cultural playoff. But I think Oregon's going to win this game 42-20. It's Bo Nix's final college game. I think he goes off, let's say, four touchdowns and a big Oregon win. So now I'm going to move on to talk about the college football playoff. We'll start off with the Rose Bowl, which is today at 5 p.m. Number four, Alabama versus number one, Michigan. This is a very tough matchup for Michigan. This is probably the last team they wanted to face, considering Alabama was getting hot at the right time. They have a very good defense, and Jalen Monroe has been getting going as well as of late. 
This is a dream matchup, though, for all networks, which is probably why Alabama got the nod in to the college football playoff over Florida State. The committee didn't want to see a backup quarterback in Tate Rodemaker, and that ends up probably being a big reason Florida State was snubbed out of the college football playoff, which I'll give my thoughts on that in just a few minutes. But I do think Florida State should have made it in. Even though it would have been a backup quarterback in Tate Rodemaker, a lot of backup quarterbacks are winning some bowl games. And when you go 13-0, and it's not the players' fault for the reason they didn't make it in. The players did all they could. They played the teams that were on the schedule, and they went undefeated. I think Florida State should have made it in at the end of the day, but that's something I'm going to talk about at the end of the episode. Despite starting the year, though, on a tough note and struggling, Alabama really turned things around, really got things going toward the end of the season. Did it take a miraculous play from Jalen Monroe and Isaiah Bond against Auburn to make it? Yes. Took a fantastic finish to that game against Auburn for them to keep their undefeated season alive and for them to have a chance to win the SEC championship. But they still won the game at the end of the day. One thing for Mill Road, though, that he has to be better at is against the Blitz. Against the Blitz, he hasn't been great this season. And Michigan has a great defense and a great pass rush. Mill Road has to find a way to get his composure in the pocket today against the Blitz. This year, he has a 58% completion percentage versus the Blitz, 8.8 yards per attempt, with six touchdown passes, four interceptions, and 17 sacks. With no Blitz, though, 68% completion percentage, 11 yards per attempt, 17 passing touchdowns, two interceptions, in 20 sacks on the year. One thing that's important to note is Michigan's defense is great, and they also blitz 24% of the time. I would imagine they up that total to around 35 or 40% today and also keep a QB spy on Jalen Monroe in the middle of the field since he can't run well, and that's something that Michigan's going to have to be ready for in today's game, and that's Monroe's speed and his athleticism. As for Michigan, though, they've had a lot of turmoil around them this season. With the future of Jim Harbaugh in question, is he going to stay at Michigan? Is he going to get a new contract? Is he going to go to the NFL? And then also the sign-stealing scandal with Connor Stallions, who ended up resigning, but it did bring a lot of attention to Michigan this season. And I'm not a fan of cheating at all, so if Harbaugh knew about it, I think he deserved a suspension. And an interesting stat I saw from my cousin, he sent me this a couple days ago, before Connor Stallions resigned, in eight games, J.J. McCarthy had a 78% completion percentage with 225 passing yards per game, 18 passing touchdowns, and three interceptions. But after Connor Stallions resigned... In the final five games of the season, J.J. McCarthy had a 69% completion percentage, so down from 78%. 166 passing yards per game he averaged in the last five games of the season, which is down considerably from his 225 passing yards per game in the first eight games of the season. And he had one touchdown to one interception in the last five games of the year, when he had 18 passing touchdowns and three interceptions in the first eight games of the season. But in the last five, with no Conestallians, one passing touchdown to one interception. And a big thing for that Michigan offense at the end of the year is they really relied on the run game. They really relied on Blake Corum to bring them a lot of wins in their defense. But one thing that's really stood out to me and something that I've felt this way about now for over a year, I've never been that high on J.J. McCarthy. Heading into the season, I know a lot of people liked Michigan, but part of the reason I didn't have Michigan in my college football playoff predictions before the year began was because of J.J. McCarthy. I never really bought into him too much. Are his stats all right? Yeah, 19 passing touchdowns, four interceptions. But if you look at that offense over the last five games, just one touchdown to one interception, they're going to need more from him today if they beat Alabama. If they want to beat Alabama, they need more from J.J. McCarthy because you're not going to just be able to run the ball against Alabama's defense and find a way to win that way. I believe in Jalen Monroe more than I believe in J.J. McCarthy. Monroe in the season, 23 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 12 rushing touchdowns, was sacked 38 times though. Bama's offensive line has not been as good as it's been in years past. That's typically a strength for them. That's not really the case this season. And one guy to look out for in that Alabama offense is Jermaine Burton. Eight touchdowns on the season, and I expect a big play from him in today's game versus Michigan secondary. One thing to keep in mind, though, is both defenses are very good. 
I'm talking about both of their offenses a lot, but both defenses are very good. Michigan's just about probably the best defense all around all season long, giving up under 10 points per game, under 240 yards per game allowed on defense with 32 sacks and 37 quarterback hits. They've been great in every realm and every facet of their defense this season. As for Alabama, their defense is very good too. 38 sacks, 50 quarterback hits. Both of those are better than Michigan's total in the season. 18.4 points per game allowed though, so just about 10 points per game more allowed than Michigan on the season. With 313 yards per game allowed as well. But the defense does generate a lot of pressure. And one thing that you have to keep in mind as well is J.J. McCarthy was only sacked 18 times this season. The Michigan offensive line has been a strength for them, and that's obviously been a big reason. Blake Corm had a big season as well. Over 1,000 yards rushing and 24 rushing touchdowns. So he's the main guy Michigan's offense relies around. And that's obviously a big thing that Alabama has to be ready for today, is stopping Blake Corm. One thing Michigan has to be ready for, though, is Dallas Turner, a linebacker on Alabama, who has nine sacks on the season, 11 quarterback hits, two forced fumbles, and is an absolute disruptor on the defense. That's one thing that Michigan has to be ready for today is making sure he doesn't have a big play, like a big strip sack, which I think he's very capable of today. Michigan's best defensive back is actually kid from Massachusetts. Mike Sanristo from Everett, Massachusetts, went to Everett High, then made it to Michigan, started out as a wide receiver in college, then transitioned to being a cornerback. He decided to come back to Michigan at the end of last season. Even though he could have declared for the NFL draft, he came back to Michigan, and it helped his draft stock tremendously. And now he's the best defensive back on Michigan, and that was a chance to bring them to the national championship if they were to win today's game. So it's obviously great to see a kid doing well at the top of college football. On the season, 31 tackles, two tackles for a loss, two sacks, two quarterback hits, six pass deflections, five interceptions, two forced fumbles. It was a big leader for that Michigan defense this season. A true stud in the secondary for the Wolverines. So now it's time to make my prediction. And one thing that's tough is betting against Alabama. In nine cultural playoffs, they've been in the field seven times. They've made the championship game six times, and they've won the national championship in the cultural playoff three times. They always perform well on the biggest stage, and that's why it's hard to bet against Nick Saban. As for Michigan, they're 0-2 in the cultural playoff history, losing last year in the Fiesta Bowl to TCU 51-45. And they also lost 34-11 to Georgia in 2021. I think Alabama's going to win this game 23-17. I think it's going to be a low-scoring battle. I think it'll be a slow start to the game for the offense for Alabama. But I do think Jalen Monroe gets things going on the ground. I think he does a lot of damage, scrambling, and getting some yards, especially considering how fast he is and how athletic he is. He's going to be able to move the ball downfield with his legs. Michigan, I don't think they're going to be able to really just win the game just running the ball with Blake Corham the whole game like they've been doing for the past five games. And that's why I think they need J.J. McCarthy to push the ball downfield. But that's what worries me here. Corham has been carrying that offense, and McCarthy hasn't really had to do too much. So that's why I have more confidence in Alabama today than I do Michigan. As for Jalen Monroe, though, he's been absolutely balling the last 10 games. 28 touchdowns to 4 interceptions over the last 10 games, and Bama is 10-0 over that 10-game stretch. So we'll see what Bama does tonight. Anyways, for the Sugar Bowl, that game is tonight at 8.45 between Washington and Texas. I'm very excited to see Michael Penix get a chance to compete for the national title. Washington has been a fun team to watch all year long, and they were a little bit underestimated heading into this season. A lot of people liked Oregon, a lot of people like USC. No one really talked about Washington coming out of the Pac-12, but that team is a fun team to watch all season long, and I'm excited to see what they do in tonight's game. Washington has a trio of great receivers, with the headline of being Romo Dunze, who had 81 catches, 1,400 yards, and 13 touchdowns in the regular season. He also had a punt return touchdown and a rushing touchdown. He's the guy to watch out for tonight in that wide receiver group. But they have two other good receivers as well. Jalen Polk had 60 catches for 1,000 yards and 8 touchdowns on the air. 
And then Jalen McMillan had 34 catches of 468 yards and three touchdowns. All three of those guys, Odunze, McMillan, and Polk, all very good receivers and guys to keep your eye on in tonight's game. Michael Penix absolutely balls out this season. That's why he was a Heisman finalist, and that's why I had him actually as my Heisman winner in my predictions. 33 passing touchdowns this year with nine interceptions, 4,200 passing yards, three rushing touchdowns, and had 36 total touchdowns overall this year. Was an absolute stud all season long for the Huskies, and he was great last year as well, but now obviously he's getting the national recognition considering Washington is in the college football playoff. He definitely should be a first-round pick in my eyes. I know a lot of people are against him being a first-round pick because he's battled injuries at Indiana. He's also 23 years old and also a lefty quarterback, so all three of those things are criticisms against him. But the arm talent is absolutely ridiculous on Michael Penix, and that's why I think he raises his draft stock with a good run in the college football playoff. As for Washington, they won a lot of close games this season. They're 7-0 in one-score games this year with close wins over Oregon twice, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State. All of their Pac-12 games, for the most part, were a one-score close games. They found a way to win. And even though Washington is coming into this game undefeated, they easily could have lost any of those games. But they're great at finding ways to win those one-score games. And I'm hoping they're different than that Minnesota Vikings team last year that was 11-0 in one-score games. Because once the Minnesota Vikings got to the playoffs last year in the wildcard round, they lost to the Giants. And I'm hoping this Washington team, who survived a lot of one-score games in the regular season, find a way to win another game in this game tonight. I do worry a little bit about them being like the Minnesota Vikings, winning a lot of one-score games and a one-score game not going their way in the playoffs. But I still believe in Washington, and that's why I think they're going to win this game. As for Texas, they're probably the better overall team than Washington if you look at their rosters. But it really comes down to who shows up. Oregon probably had a better overall team a better overall roster than Washington this season. But the University of Washington won twice against them because they find ways to win and they find ways to put things together on offense and defense. As for Texas, they were 12-1 and in the regular season. They even beat Alabama in Week 2, and their only loss was to Oklahoma. They beat Alabama on the road by 10 points. They also beat Oklahoma State 49-21 to in the Big 12 championship. And their defense has been a big part of their success, as their offense has been as well, but their defense is allowing under 18 Points per game, which is 11th best in college football. Their offense, though, 36 points per game scored, which is 15th out of 133 FBS teams. 15th out of 133. So the top 15 on offense and defense in points per game allowed and points per game scored. So that's very impressive. Quinn Ewers had a great season, 21 touchdowns and 6 picks. 3,100 passing yards, 5 rushing touchdowns. Had a very productive season for that offense. One guy to keep your eye on in that offense, which I know Xavier Worthy was that stud talent at wideout that everybody talked about heading into the season. It obviously showed a lot of talent and a lot of success this year for that offense. 73 catches, 969 yards at five touchdowns. But I think A.D. Mitchell is the best receiver in that offense, who I think is going to be a day one pick in the NFL as well. He won two national titles in a row at Georgia. And if Texas were to find a way to win this game tonight and then win the final, that would be three straight championships in college for A.D. Mitchell who's had a very successful year, 10 touchdowns with 51 catches and 813 yards. He's the main guy I'd worry about if I were in that Washington secondary. One other thing I want to mention before I make my prediction, Washington beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl last season, 27-20. Over 800 total yards in that game, and I expect another shootout. 27-20 finish in that one, but I think this game's going to be a little bit more high scoring than last year. Quinn Ewers had a good game in that one, 369 yards and a touchdown. Michael Penix, 287 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And I see another close game tonight between these two teams. Washington has just found a way to win the close games this season. That's what's worked for them this year, is hanging around and finding a way to win at the end. And that's why I think Washington wins this one, 31-27.
behind three touchdowns of Michael Penix. And I've been with Penix and UW all year long, and even last year as well. I believe in them, and that's why I think they can win tonight's game. And as of right now, the national championship, if these two teams were to win in my predictions, it would be Alabama versus Washington, who I actually had in my Rose Bowl prediction before the season began. I had Bama beating Washington in the Rose Bowl before the season began, and if they were to meet in the national championship game, I would have Alabama over Washington 23-20. So now I'm going to give my thoughts on the whole situation around Florida State. And obviously there's been a lot of controversy around the college football playoff committee not allowing Florida State to get in. And not including Florida State, I think is a bad look for college football. They became the first undefeated Power 5 program in the college football playoff era to not make the CFP. And honestly, I wish they made it in. Because I feel bad for the players who did all they could all year long, stayed in the program for an extra year to try to win the national title, and then they don't make it in. And it's not their fault who was on their schedule. They found a way to win all 13 games they played in, and they found a way to win the ACC championship. Even if the ACC championship didn't mean as much this year as it has in years past, that's still an undefeated Power 5 team that didn't make it in. With that being said, I did expect the committee to keep them out of the CFP. Once Jordan Travis went down in a meaningless game against North Alabama, I knew they were going to keep them out of the college football playoff. Is that right? No. But am I surprised? No. I mean, that's kind of what I expected, unfortunately. What it came down to, I think, is this. Florida State not having Jordan Travis wary the CFP committee, and they didn't want to see a backup quarterback competing for the national title, so they pivoted and put in an SEC team. And that's always a luck. Seeing an SEC team in the college football playoff over the last 10 years has always been a luck. And that's just the truth. They always put an SEC team in. Typically, it's always an undefeated one. And that's why I figured Florida State was going to get cut out of the college football playoff. What would I have done? I would have kept Florida State in the CFP. And then there would have been a tough decision between Alabama and then Texas. Which team would get in? Texas beat Alabama earlier this season. But Alabama found a way to win 10 straight games and they were rolling heading into the college football playoff. The question always is this. Is it the most deserving or the four best teams? I think it should be the most deserving because that's why you play the season. But a lot of the time, the most deserving ends up being also the best team as well. Alabama's playing the best football heading into the college football playoff. With that being said, Florida State was undefeated 13-0 in the regular season. Or 12-0 in the regular season, and then they won the ACC championship. But there's no easy decision here. And there's going to be a lot of division about this. Probably for years to come, even when there's a 12-team playoff, there's going to be a team that gets cut out. People are going to be complaining about it. But Alabama did beat Georgia, who didn't lose for 728 days. And Alabama is a much different team now than they were at the beginning of the season when they lost to Texas and were struggling to beat South Florida. They're a much different team now. But I really do feel bad for those Florida State guys. And here's a tweet from Jordan Travis on December 3rd. He said, devastated, heartbroken, and so much disbelief right now. I wish my leg broke earlier this season so y'all could see this team is much more than the quarterback. I thought the results would matter. 13-0, and this roster matches up across any team in those top four rankings. I am so sorry, go Knowles. And then the athletic director for Florida State was really upset as well. And he said, our players, coaches, and fans, as well as all those who love this sport, deserve better. The committee failed to call triple today. And that was back on December 3rd as well. And if you look at Florida State versus Alabama, I know Florida State's strength of schedule was 55th in ranking. But their strength of record was third in all college football. Alabama was fourth. Strength of schedule for Alabama was fifth. Alabama was 4-1 against top 25 teams. Florida State was 3-0. Florida State found a way to beat Louisville, LSU, and Clemson. And they really just took the game away from LSU and blew them out. 
And then Alabama this year beat Georgia, Mississippi, and LSU. So it's a really tough decision. I think Texas was probably going to get in no matter what. And so it was really just between Alabama and Florida State. If that's what you look at the rankings, you have the fourth and fifth teams right there. It's just tough to see, though. It really is. And then Mike Norvell was very upset as well. And he said, what's the point of playing games? Do you tell the players it's okay to quit if someone goes down? And I completely agree with him. I think if Florida State had Jordan Travis, they'd probably get into the college football playoff. And then one other tweet I want to mention was Greedy Vance, a defensive back for Florida State. And he said, we don't question God's plan, but I'm so sorry for the seniors. I've only been here two years, but I feel every bit of emotion for them. They worked so hard and stayed loyal to this program through trials and tribulations. They deserve the opportunity to compete for an Eddie. And I honestly agree with them. I really do. And that's why I feel bad for Florida State. I know a lot of people are going to look at that game versus Georgia this past weekend where they got blown out 63-3 and say that's a reason they didn't get in. But they also were missing a lot of guys. There were a lot of guys missing both ways. So the ultimate answer to the question, should Florida State have gotten in? I would say yes. They were 13-0. They didn't lose a game in the regular season. And it's not the players' fault for their schedule or that Jordan Travis got hurt. So many teams are winning bowl games this year with backup quarterbacks and backup wide receivers and backup defensive linemen. So they could have won with Tate Rodemaker as the quarterback, who is now in the transfer portal. That's why he didn't play in this game against Georgia. But he likely would have started the college football playoff game had Florida State gotten in. But since they didn't get in, Rodemaker ends up going into the portal and Brock Glenn starts versus Georgia. And Georgia destroyed Florida State 63-3. That was actually the second bowl game in a row for Georgia that they won by 40 or more points. Georgia has now won 42 games over the last three seasons, which is the most for a program over a three-year period. Just complete and utter dominance by that Georgia program. But if you look into that game, a lot of guys sat out on both sides. So that's why I had to make a prediction for that game, or any bowl game really for that matter, because more than 40 guys sat out between the two teams in that game for Georgia and Florida State. Jared Verse, Trey Benson, neither one of those guys played for Florida State. Keon Coleman didn't play either. Brock Bowers didn't play for Georgia. So with all that talent sitting out both ways, with more guys opting out for Florida State than Georgia, so I expected Florida State to lose that game, but I didn't think it'd be by that many points. I thought it'd be a little bit closer than that. I thought it'd be maybe a 14-point game, 17-point game. That ends up not being the case. But with so many opt-outs, it's really tough to make a prediction, so that's why I stayed away from it. Carson Beck did play for Georgia. The quarterback for Florida State, as I said, was Brock Glenn. So it was tough for Florida State to move the ball consistently with Keon Coleman out, Johnny Wilson out, Trey Benson all opting out. It was tough for them to move the ball. Kozenbeck did look good, though, for Georgia. 203 yards and two touchdowns. And I know Florida State was destroyed in this game, and I know people are going to use that against them and say that ends up being the reason they were excluded from the college football playoff. But in a game where everybody sat out, you can't use that game to justify FSU being excluded. They deserve to get in. They were 13-0, and teams are winning bowl games with backup quarterbacks. If Florida State was in, Tate Rodemaker probably would have stayed and played in the CFP. And if you look at the last couple of years, Cincinnati lost to Alabama 27-6. They were completely outmatched in that game. TCU lost last year 65-7 at Georgia in the final. All of those games were blowouts. But if you look at it, Cincinnati deserved to get in since it was a couple years in a row that were, they were one of the best records in all college football. And then TCU last year. They were 13-2 overall in the year, 13-1 heading into that final game. And they ended up losing. But a lot of people thought they deserved to be in as well. So even though those two games, Cincinnati and TCU, were both blown out over the last couple of years, they deserved to get in. So Florida State deserved to get in as well. I know it was a backup quarterback, but that's just a tough precedent to set. And you're basically punishing the players of Florida State because the quarterback went down. And that's obviously not a good look. It's something I feel really bad about. 
And I know a lot of people are questioning whether or not Florida State should have got in. Not many people are talking about if Georgia should have got in. And if Georgia won that SEC championship game, they would have gotten in, obviously. But since they lost to Alabama in that game, Alabama ends up getting in. But Georgia easily could have been in the CFP as well. They clearly showed in that game versus Florida State they're still one of the most dominant programs in the country, even with a lot of their guys sitting out. So now to finish the episode, I'm going to revisit some of my predictions from the beginning of the season. And before the year began, my Sugar Bowl prediction was number one Alabama versus number four Washington. In that game, I had Alabama winning 38-27. And honestly, looking back, I'm proud of my predictions. I had Alabama and Washington both into the CFP, and I had Georgia out. So that was a strong prediction that I got right. I said Georgia would be out of the CFP, and even though they probably could have gotten in and even won the Natty this season, I was right that they wouldn't make it. In the Rose Bowl, my prediction was Penn State over Florida State 27-23. Florida State was just barely out. And then Penn State only lost two games a season, both of them being to Ohio State and Michigan. So all four of my predictions for who was going to be in the CFP, they were all solid. I had Alabama, Penn State, Florida State, and Washington, and all of them had a chance at one point. Penn State losing two games basically took them out of the chance to make the CFP, but their two losses were to two good teams. And then Florida State was right there. And then a few other predictions I got right. I had LSU at 9-3 before the season began. That ended up being their record. I also said Tulane would win double-digit games in the regular season. They won 11 this year. I said Colorado would win 4-5 to five games, which I was right. They finished the season 4-8. and eight. Even though they started off the year very hot, they lost their last six games and missed a bowl game. Even though a lot of people are hyping them up after their hot start to the season. But I said they'd win around four games. That ends up being the case. Four and eight finish. I said Notre Dame would lose two of three games to Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. That ended up being right. They lost to Ohio State, and they lost to Clemson. I said San Jose State would go 8-4. and four. They ended up going 7-5, and five, but they had a very tough schedule to begin the season. I said Chevin Cordero would have 40 touchdowns, only finished with 22, but still an impressive quarterback and a guy I'm excited to see what his future looks like in the National Football League. I think he has NFL talent. One thing I was really wrong about was Wisconsin. I thought they'd have double-digit wins. They ended up going 7-5 and five in the regular season. I expected big things with Tanner Mordecai, but he never put up the numbers that he did at SMU. As for who I had winning each conference, I was right on a good amount of them. I had Florida State winning the ACC. That ended up being right. I had Alabama over Georgia in the SEC. That ended up being right. I had Washington winning the Pac-12. I had Texas winning the Big 12. I had Toledo losing the MAC championship, which ended up happening. I had Tulane losing in the American Athletic Championship, which ended up happening as well. But one major thing I was wrong about this season was Wisconsin. I thought they had a chance at the CFP before the season began, but they disappointed me. But at the end of the day, that's how the season goes sometimes. There's injuries, there's tough games. Sometimes things just don't go your way and the ball bounces the wrong way. That's just the way football goes. So one last thing I want to mention before I close out the episode is a comparison between Texas, Alabama, and Florida State. So Texas was 3-1 versus top 25 teams. Alabama was 4-1. Florida State was 3-0. Strength of record. Texas was 5th. Alabama was 4th. Florida State was third. Strength of schedule. Texas was 13th. Alabama was fifth. And Florida State was 55th. So a big reason Florida State ends up not getting in. Obviously, the Jordan Travis injury is a big reason they didn't get in. But also, the strength of schedule was something that they held against those players. They were 13-0. It's not the players' fault for their schedule. It's not the players' fault that the ACC wasn't as good this year as it's been in years past. But at the end of the day, Florida State ends up not getting in. Because of strength of schedule. And that's a big reason I think they want to leave the ACC. Go to a competitive conference and have a chance at the CFP. Since the ACC 
Once Florida State leaves, we'll probably fall apart. So one other thing I want to mention before closing the episode is Michael Penix's injury history. 2018 at Indiana, he tore his ACL. 2019, season-ending shoulder injury. 2020, tore his ACL again. 2021, season-ending AC joint injury. Then transfers to Washington and was one of the best quarterbacks in the country over the last two seasons. So he deserves this moment and an opportunity to compete for the national title more than anybody in the country right now for what he's had to go through. And one quote I really liked from him, and it was a question about what his mindset was after tearing his ACL the second time. He said there were times when I'd wake up the day of the game and I'd wait until my roommate leaves and I'd just lay in the floor and I'd just cry to God, just praying that he'd protect me that day because I knew where my head was at that time. And it wasn't truly fresh. It was a lot of tears, man. So when you look at that quote, you can just see everything Michael Penix has had to go through, all the adversity he's had to face. And he's embraced it all, embraced all the struggle in the entire journey. And it's built him into the player he is today. And somebody I've been rooting for now for the last two seasons. So I'm hoping Washington wins the national title. As I said, I had Alabama over Washington right now with the way things currently stand. But I'm rooting for Washington to win it. Because Michael Penix deserves it. And that Washington team has been a very exciting team to watch this season. And they're led by a guy in Michael Penix who had to go through so many trials and tribulations and easily could have just quit with all that adversity. It could have been easy just to say, yeah, you know what? With these injuries, man, I'm just never going to get lucky and I'm never going to get to be the quarterback that I would be without them. It would have been easy just to quit and not train and get back on your grind to try to be the player you know you can be if you were to stay healthy. And Michael Penix was able to do it the last two seasons. Stay healthy. And honestly, in my eyes, Michael Penix is the best quarterback in all of college football. I think he's better than Caleb Williams. I think he's better than Drake May. And I've said it now on the podcast all year long. He never got the respect he deserved last year. And even this year, he's getting disrespected with where he's going in a lot of the mock drafts. He's a lot better than people giving him credit for, honestly. Even though he's a Heisman finalist, he's still being counted out by some people. And hopefully a deep run of the cultural playoff and a CFP championship, which I'm rooting for for Washington, maybe that would change some opinions on Michael Penix and where he is in relation to Caleb Williams and Drake May in the NFL draft. Because I think he's better than both of those guys. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think Michael Penix is the best quarterback in all of college football. So we'll see what he does in tonight's game. Anyways, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.